Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, you can follow the show's Twitter and Instagram page. That is not specifically just for the show. It is mostly about breaking news and all topics of sports, NFL, NBA, MLB, when something big happens. We're breaking news on there all the time. Find out before your friends know. And even just, you know, have information for everybody else and be able to brag and tell your friends and if you feel like a real insider. Uh, and that Twitter handle and Instagram handle is the exact same thing, at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. And remember, the show is on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe, rate, comment, DM me uh, for topic ideas. Or if you want to come on the show even, uh, definitely reach out with a DM. But in this week's episode, I'll be talking about the NBA and what's happening in the playoffs, the NFL and what's going down in the offseason, a little MLB news, and then we'll have best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. guys and welcome into another great show another great episode of the justin time sports podcast and of course i am your host and owner and editor justin jackson uh welcome in and like i said in the intro don't forget to follow the twitter and instagram at jtime sports because it's always breaking news on there i'm on there often Honestly, I'm on there pretty much all day. When I find out something, you guys will know right behind me. But let's jump right in to the NBA and what's happening in the playoffs. Now, obviously, it's the first round. So we're dealing with scheduling issues such as we're having the late window, the nine o'clock window if you're central time, 10 if you're eastern, seven if you're uh, Pacific. We're having issues such as games on simultaneously. Now, they're 30 minutes apart, so when one ends, you pretty much got the fourth quarter of the other one. Um, so we're having to deal with that. For instance, uh, the Clippers and the Lakers a couple nights ago played simultaneously. Uh, it was the Clippers game two, Lakers game two, obviously. Um, so I mean, you can stream it. That's what I've been doing, um, having one on the TV, one on the tablet kind of thing. But like I said, with all so many playoff series, uh, we were dealing with scheduling issues and stuff like that. But the games have gone pretty much as we expected. Um, there was dominance there uh, between a few teams, and there was closeness like we expected. Uh, for instance, let's get one change out the way. Uh, Brooklyn's annihilating Boston. We pretty much seen that coming. Uh, anybody with two eyes seen that coming. That was one that I was gonna say sweep on and decided to be nice and say Boston might hit you know 23s one game and um or Tatum goes for 50 and they and, you know cancels out Katie and Kyrie and then the bench cancels out Harden somehow and then you know Boston wins game four for pride and Brooklyn closes in five kind of thing but that's looking like a sweep uh, Brooklyn's is his game's got too many weapons I mean you you already have Katie Kyrie and Harden that's great well now if you can't even pack the paint on them because Joe Harris makes seven out of his 10 threes and you really can't do anything on a pick and roll because Blake Griffin is flying all over your head now. 
Um, it, it's just it's a rough life to try and defend Brooklyn, especially Boston. You're shorthanded. You're offensively, you're trying to keep Tatum from having to guard somebody really, really good on offense because he has no other help on the on defense, rather, because you have no other help on the offensive end. Kimball Walker shows the flash, like he dropped Blake Griffin with a crossover, and he had hit a couple more shots like right after that, and then that was pretty much it. And you don't have Jalen Brown to be a two-way player, which stretches out your entire rotation because now you've got guys that normally play 10 to 12 minutes are playing 20, 21 minutes, trying to make up the slack for Jalen Brown. And it is just, it's its a lot for Boston trying to overcome. Uh, it's a culmination of an underwhelming season for them. They were disappointing all year. I thought Boston were, was fighting for the fourth seed in the conference. You know, you thought they'd be riding that where the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks ended up, that four or five range. They ended up seven. Um, you know, so it's kind of thinking like they even got passed by the Heat, who had an underwhelming season themselves. Um, and so it's a culmination of a lot of bad for Boston. Um, you know, Danny Ainge has made two great moves as a GM. One was the trades for the big three, uh, the fleecing of Minnesota, thanks to his longtime friend Kevin McHale, and then the trade for Ray Allen, uh, bringing him into Boston as well. The, that was his great move, and then trading in the in the draft uh, back to three, and still ending up with the best player in the draft, and Jason Tatum, um, allowing Philadelphia to trade Mark uh, draft rather Markel Folks and the Lakers to draft Lonzo Ball. Neither one of them being on their original teams. Uh, Folks was Folks barely. I don't think Folks played forty games as a Sixer due to injury. Lonzo Ball played two years as a Pelican and he, uh, as a Laker, and he was out uh, when LeBron showed up. Uh, when you after LeBron showed up for Anthony Davis. And so those are the two great moves Danny Ainge has made his GM. And, and I mean great moves. I mean, he drafted Jalen Brown. That's, that's, that's a good move. Not a great move. That's a good move. Uh, Jalen Brown is a fringe all-star level player. Uh, can't get too mad at that. They picked him in the top five. They got Jalen Brown. Um, but other than that, he refuses to have any legitimate size. Uh, Tristan Thompson is his best big man. He ain't winning much. Or actually, it's Robert Williams, so the Time Lord out of Texas A&M. Uh, he's probably your best big man, but he's not ready from an offensive perspective to play a lot of minutes just yet. Defensive wizard. He owns the Celtics playoff record for blocks in a game now with nine uh, because they didn't keep blocks when Bill Russell was around as a stat. But, yeah, Robert Williams is probably your best big man. That's not great. Uh, Kimball Walker is starting point guard with – a lot of money left on his contract and needs that won't support him. That's not great. Uh, Peyton Pritchard has fallen off. I mean, you, you just see the moves Danny Ainge made uh, and the moves he refused to make. Oh, yeah, he's not going to trade Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard. Well, Kawhi Leonard landed in Toronto and won a championship. Oh, okay. Um, he's not going to trade Jalen Brown for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis landed in L.A. and won a championship. And Boston is about to get swept out of the playoffs. Now, again, Jalen Brown's injury is the reason they're getting swept. They're, they're going to lose either way. But Jalen Brown's injury is the reason they're getting swept. But you look at teams that are being aggressive, Boston is not. The aggressive teams are winning. Boston is not. And so it might be something to reevaluate in Beantown from a management perspective. And the other series that's basically over is 76ers and Washington. Um, 
this one had our first fan incident, which we'll talk about later. There was three fans being completely jacklegs, or actually five fans um, being complete jacklegs um, involved in improper fan interaction. Again, we'll talk about that a little later. The 76 is just a better basketball team than Washington. It's just, it's life. They're just a better basketball team than Washington. Um, again, I can spend a lot of time on this one. Why? Um, Washington just the best player on the floor in game two was honestly Ben Simmons. The second best player on the floor was Joel Embiid. The third best player on the floor was Tobias Harris. When the three best players on the floor play for one team, and they're already the better team, the team that's the underdog is going to get blown off the floor. Then Russ has an ankle injury, has the fan intent. It's just downhill from there. You got Joel Embiid, like, I don't know. Doing something to the air when he's on the ground after making an and one. I don't know. It was weird. I tried not to acknowledge it. Um, this, I mean, the Sixers are just in a much better spot right now than Washington. Uh, they're going to be watching the rest of the playoffs very soon. Um, the Wizards, rather, and preparing for next offseason. Uh, year two of the Bill Westbrook experience. Hopefully trying to get them a couple of shooters and a big in the draft. Even though I like Daniel Gafford. I like Daniel Gafford for them. Uh, get them a couple of uh, knockdown shooters to go next to Bill and Russ to create some space. Um, and then, like I said, maybe get a legit big man other than Daniel Gafford. I like Gafford, but I don't think he's ready just yet to help them fight. Because you got Bill and Russ and those two, you know, those are two all-stars. Those are two legitimate all-stars. You know, Jalen Brown is a fringe all-star. I talked about a couple minutes ago. Bill and Russ are legitimate all-star players. Especially Bradley Beal. He's a walking 30 points a game. Russell Westbrook's a walking triple-double. And so, with that being said, you need a couple of shooters and somebody other than Daniel Gafford uh, in the middle. And you should be all right there in Washington. But they're going to get swept out of this series. So, that's the two sweeps. Uh, the two non-surprising sweeps. Uh, but let's jump right into the series now that are incredibly intriguing and we're gonna keep the sweep theme going uh miami what happened because last year in the bubble it was going pretty well i mean you made it to the nba finals you got guys on tv like skip bayless saying oh lebron got so lucky because goran Dragic and bam Adebayo were hurt and if they weren't hurt the miami heat might have beat the lakers for the championship i mean you were in some people's opinions not mine, but some people's opinion, a couple of injuries away from at least making that thing go seven. You know, at least making the bubble last the whole time it could last instead of being out of there in six. So, you know, making the Lakers really sweat for the championship, possibly even winning uh, in a game seven situation. The first of Adrian Butler was playing, Bam Adebayo was playing prior to injury. Uh, Goran Dragic was playing really well. You might have, you know, pushed the... Lakers, even beating the Lakers, um, had you been fully healthy. Again, some people's opinion, not mine, but hey, you know, some people's. And so, you come into this playoff series, you're playing the Bucks again. Now, this is not the Bucks you beat last year, because they beat the they beat the Bucks in five. Uh, Giannis was hobbled a good part of the series, had an ankle problem, but they beat the Bucks in five. You know, I mean, many people said, okay, well, this team has the formula to beat the Bucks. Let's see if the, if the Bucks can beat it. But this is a different Bucks team than last year. Last year, they had one player, kind of two, but one player really that was going to create his own shot, initiate his own shot, initiate shots for others. 
And that was Giannis. That was Giannis. He was going to run through the wall. If he got stuck, kick it out to the shooter, knock down the shot. Or if he could just flat out run through the wall, he was going to run through the wall to get to the rim to finish around the rim. So what that did was Chris Middleton was pretty much an ISO style scorer. When he got the ball, he was looking to put the ball in the hole because of the way that the team was constructed. Giannis was the guy to set everything up for everybody. And then Chris Middleton pretty much got himself off. And so everybody after that was kind of the catch and shoot guy. So where they were making shots, the wall got tighter and tighter and it made it harder for Giannis and everything after that. This year, they bring in Drew Holiday. Now Drew Holiday can go get his own shot. He can also get shots for others. And he's also a good two-way player. So an on-ball defender, he's one of the best on-ball defenders that the guard position the NBA has to offer. And so that's allowing him to slow people down, to let Giannis come over for contest shots, Brooke Lopez come over to contest shots, uh, the other bigs on the Bucks to come over to contest shots um, because Drew Holiday is such a good on-ball defender and he's a legitimate point guard who can score. So he can get his own shot and get his shots for others. By de facto, that makes Chris Middleton's job easier because now he doesn't have to get himself off because he you know Drew might be able to get him off. And so now you look at three guys now, thanks to the addition of Drew Holiday, that can score, create for others. And so they are absolutely annihilating the Miami Heat. The Bucks also play amazing defense. They're one of the top defensive teams left in the play. I mean, in the playoffs. I mean, you got the Lakers, now in no particular order, the Lakers, you know, Utah, uh, the Bucks play great defense. Uh, Sixers play pretty good defense as well. But you've got, you know, that team, that Bucks team locking down on defense. Giannis is unstoppable because the wall can't be built. And I keep waiting on Miami to just flat out build the wall, but they can't build it because now Drew Holiday can kick, catch the ball on the dot, knock down the shot, or drive. Now everything's in scramble mode, but now Drew Holiday's got a foot in the paint. Giannis has got a foot in the paint. You still got your shoes on the outside, and you're scrambling. And so they're not building the wall. Giannis is having free reign to move as he chooses for the most part with little to no interference from uh, anyone else from the Miami Heat. And so that's making a huge problem for them defensively. And the shots are not going in for the Heat. During the bubble, Tyler Hero shot something like almost 40% um, for the time during the bubble in the playoffs. He's shooting at 28% now. Uh, his minutes have fallen off the face of the earth. Duncan Robinson, who was hot, um, has cooled way off uh, this, this even this playoff series. He was hot early, and he cooled way off. No one's really a threat from the outside. Jimmy Butler's not playing well at all. Uh, Bam Adebayo has a couple of moments in game three, but for the most part, he's not been playing well. And guys like from the Bucks, like Brendan Forbes, raining threes. The Bucks have been raining threes over the Miami Heat's head this entire playoff series. And I don't think it's going to change in game four. I think that the Bucks will end the Miami Heat season in game four. But it has been something to behold to watch the Bucks. Really, I mean, legitimately grow before our eyes. And this the additional Drew Holiday de facto made Middleton a better playmaker as well because now it's three guys that can do the job instead of Middleton thinking, okay, I have to go get me because if I don't go get me, there's not a real way me and Giannis work together because I have to spread the defense out. It, it, it's, it's huge for the Bucks. They're going to be really dangerous against the Brooklyn Nets next round. Um, that's going to be a hell of a series, but we'll talk about that a little more next week uh, because it'll be probably a game or two in by the time we come back on next Friday. Um, 
And the next series we're going to jump into is Utah and Memphis. We're going to go, we're going to switch conferences. We're going to go to Utah and Memphis. Uh, another side of another fan incident that, we'll, again, we'll talk about a little later. So Utah and Memphis is a little unique. What I mean by that is game one, I would say this series is only not 2-0 because Donovan Mitchell didn't play in game one. Donovan Mitchell is the engine, the wheels, and the transmission for the Utah offense. His scoring rotten them. He's not scoring like James Harden in Houston, 33-34 at night. You know, he's not scoring like Bradley Bill or Steph. He's only scoring in the low 20s, low to mid-20s. But why he's so dangerous is he's he is the I can get my shot guy. You know, Joe Ingles can get his shot off a little bit. Uh Bogdanovich can get his shot off a little bit as well. Uh Rudy Gobert has no offensive game. Derek Favors is pretty good in the post. Mike Conley is pretty good in pick and roll, especially with Gobert. But the guy who can just ISO his way to 50 points is Donovan Mitchell. Well, when you don't have that threat on the floor like the Utah Jazz didn't have in game one, it allows people to pack the paint on you because they have shooters, but it allows them to really stick on the shooter because there's no one that's going to one-on-one break you down the way Donovan Mitchell can. It allows you to press Joe Ingles all the way up the floor. It allows you to press by Donovan all the way up the floor. It allows you to really get into the shooters of Utah because there's no one-on-one ISO threat that you have to keep your eye on if you're a weak side defender, help side defender, in case he drives the lane and you have to make a move to help. However, the Grizzlies played really well in game one. The Grizzlies had to win that game. It wasn't like Utah came out and scored 70 points and the Grizzlies won by 30. No, like Utah had to really, I mean, Memphis had to really win that game. Uh, Dylan Brooks was huge on the defensive and offensive end, uh, making jumpers, spin jumpers, post fades, pull up threes. He was huge in that game. Um, he was definitely the MVP of game one and him and John Morant let they have a bright future together in Memphis. However, in game two, Donovan Mitchell returned. And when Donovan Mitchell returned, the offense looked like the offense. Now Mitchell's a good enough on ball defender and a help side defender where he's where the Utah Jazz can play elite defense. I mentioned a few minutes ago where there's about three teams left that plays legitimate playoff level defense that is the Lakers, the Bucks, and these Utah Jazz due to the fact that they have Rudy Gobert. Look, I'm not a Rudy Gobert fan. I think $205 million was a little bit excessive for a guy who has no offensive game whatsoever. Um, But, hey, they did it, and for he's really, really good at his job. He's he's a defensive stalwart. He two-hand blocked a John Morant dunk attempt last game uh, in a game when John Morant couldn't be stopped. He had 47 in game two. But... Yeah, he, I mean, so they have him in the back. Like I said, Mitchell's a pretty good on-ball defender, so he doesn't get annihilated at all. You've got the shooters. They're really 3 and D guys. Uh, Ingles is pretty solid on the defensive end, so is Bajanovic. And their scheme is pretty great uh, under Quentin Snyder in terms of how they can protect themselves defensively. So this game comes back, and John Morant, you know, Spider comes back, rather, and John Morant does his best to put his team up 2-0 going back home. He scores 47. Uh, he has the second most points in NBA history in the first two playoff starts with 73 because he put up 36 in game one or something like that, and he put up 47. Uh, he put up 26 in game one, then he put up 47 in game two, and the only person higher than him has like 76 with that. So Jai Moran has like 73 in his first two games, and the only person higher than him has like 76. 
Um, so, I mean, you think about it. He's only 20. This is his second year in the NBA. He, he came on the same draft as Zion and R.J. Barrett, um, who's played a key contributor for the Knicks, who we'll talk about next. And he is looking like an absolute superstar. No one can guard him on the Utah Jazz. Unfortunately, that's limiting his opportunities to set up his teammates and get them rolling. Grayson Allen had a couple of moments, but all in all, it's looking like Utah's going to win this series. I'm going to guess in six. Um, would have been five. I don't think they would have lost the first game, but I'm going to guess in six now. Uh, I think Memphis, I think it goes back to Utah uh, 2-2, and then uh, Utah wins the next two games, close them on six. The next series on the docket is the site of the third fan incident, or the second fan incident in terms of time, uh, or real time when it happened, would be the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks, which has been the best series so far. Um, I'm enjoying all the series. I've, I've watched every game pretty much from start to finish so far, uh, but this is the most entertaining series trying to be competitive because they are legitimately competing. This is huge. The garden was amazing. I think it's probably why um, it was so entertaining because that was the best atmosphere. You look at, they had the most fans. They had 15,000 fans in Madison Square Garden. I believe the garden only holds like 16, 17 for basketball. So it was pretty much near capacity. Uh, the fans were screaming, they were roaring. It looked like it felt like a college environment where every big three they were going crazy. When Hawks were going to run, it would go dead silent. I mean, this has been Spike Lee was there, 50 Cent was there, Tracy Morgan was at game one. I'm not sure he was at game two, but Tracy Morgan was at game one. Uh, they had a, a, a rap thing with Papoose to announce, you know, the Knicks to back in the playoffs, and it's been so long and. They won their first playoff game in the Garden since, like, 2013. It was absolutely bonkers. You've got enemy already in Trey Young. I mean, you've got FU Trey Young chants. You've got the Knicks handing out flyers saying the chant tonight is Trey Young is balding. You've got the mayor of New York telling Trey Young stop hunting for fouls. And at the end of game one, Trey Young hits a floater and is walking down the court yelling, it's quiet, it's bleeping here. He's in the tunnel saying it. I mean, this series is intense. And it, and it is great playoff basketball because this is what we were missing in the bubble. The bubble was good basketball. Again, as a person with a young show, I still, I still have a young show. The person with a young show looking for any kind of content, the bubble was amazing. Because it was innovative. We'd never seen anything like that. The basketball was good. People were worried about maybe pick up basketball. No, it was especially when the playoffs started. It was legit competition. They were at each other's throats. You had amazing performances everywhere. The bubble was great. There's there's nothing greater than the fan interaction. When the 15,000 fans, I mean, the Lakers, you heard the difference between 15,000 in the Garden and 7,500 uh, with the Lakers last night. 15,000 fans, or the Clippers had, had even less. They had about 7,500 as well. Um, the fan interactions were insane. Uh, in Atlanta, they're going to have about 10,000, I think. Uh, 10,000, 11,000, somewhere in there. So you'll be able to hear a legitimate crowd in the State Farm Arena as well. But it was an absolute great series. Uh, it's, at, it's, been, it's been so far an absolute great series. Julius Randle has not come to play. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in the way Julius Randle has been performing this series. Not really talked about in the media. 
Uh, but I am very disappointed in the way Julius Randle has been performing so far in this series. He was supposed to be the Knicks MVP. He won the most improved player award. Very, very deserving. Um, but he absolutely has been struggling this series. Um, but like I said, they're going back to Atlanta tie 1-1. The series has been great. Trey Young has showed up both games. His supporting cast didn't play as well in game two. That's why the Knicks won. Uh, behind Derrick Rose's resurgence. Which, side note, what year is this? I'm watching an Eastern Conference playoff game where the final scores don't get to 100, pretty much. Derrick Rose, the leading scorer. Tom Thibodeau's the head coach. And Taz Gibson makes a key dunk at the end of the stretch. What? year is this because that was the Bulls in 2012. Tom is the head coach. Derrick Rose is the leading scorer. Tops Gibson made Tommy Dunks to play defense and rebounded. I mean, they're only missing a flop. They got a floppy-haired center instead of instead of Joe Kim Noah, it's Nerlens Noel. You know, they have some young upstart. Instead of Jimmy Butler, it's um, R.J. Barrett. Uh, I mean, this team, yeah, they got guys on the bench instead of uh, Ben Gordon or uh, I can't think of what other backup center, backup guard was in Chicago. It's Emmanuel Quickly. I mean, this team is pretty much built like the Bulls when you think about it. Uh, but it, it is absolutely great to see Derrick Rose doing his style, his very signature style. That herky-jerky, like everything is a quick twitch reaction. There's no real smooth to it. It looks like everything is a quick twitch muscle movement. It's very herky-jerky. It's very cool to see um, because you you can if you grade him out and just let him do what he does on the court, you would immediately know it's Derrick Rose. He has one of the most unique styles in the NBA. Uh, you can see it, like I said, from the tip of when he starts moving. So absolutely intense series. I'm loving it. Well, we don't get a lot of Atlanta Hawks on TV. So this is the first time people really get to see how Trey Young is. People really get to see how the Atlanta Hawks is. Um, Lou Will, Clint Capella, uh, their version of Bogey, uh, Bogdanovich, um, you know, Herder, Trey Young. I mean, that's a pretty good team. And then New York counters with Emmanuel Quickly, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Nerlens Noel, Kevin Knox, O.B. Toppin. Uh, so this is a pretty look competitive series. It's the 4-5. So, what do you expect from a 4-5 matchup besides stiff competition between the two sides? Moving on to the West 4-5 matchup, and that'll be the Los Angeles Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Well, I mean, this is 4-5, right? I mean, is it right? This is 4-5. It ain't playing like it's 4-5 right now. I mean, this just is like, this is not even, it's competitive, right? I mean, the Clippers aren't getting blown off the floor. But the best player on the floor is Luka Doncic. The best team is the Dallas Mavericks. And I don't think it's debatable right now. You look at the Mavericks. They shot. They were the 18th best three-point shooting team in the regular season. Right now, they're shooting the Clippers' face off. I don't have the exact percentage in front of me. But you can just look at the games. I mean, you see in game one, they were playing. And they were raining threes everywhere. And Porzingis hit a 30-footer. And then later in the game, like, Luka hit some crazy three and Tim Hardaway's knocking down threes. He's going to free agency, making himself a lot of money right now. And then the shot of the night, me in game one, or the shot that, in, that exemplified the night was when Porzingis shot a straight-on three. And he hits the back of the rim about as hard as you can hit it. And the ball goes straight in the air and comes straight back down and swishes. And that was like the epitome of the night because it just felt like Dallas could do no wrong in game one. And so they, if like they deserve that moment 
And like I said, the ball hits straight on the back of the rim, skyrockets about 10 feet in the air, and comes straight back down. It was absolutely insane to see. Uh, I just started laughing. It's just, even Porzingis kind of smiled like, oh, this is that kind of night. Uh, it was crazy. And then in game two, you move on to, you, you think to yourself, okay, okay, okay. okay. They got to come back to the mean, right? Like, they were the 18th best team. They just shot like 47%. So they're going to shoot like 32%, and the Clippers are going to win, and we're going to go to Dallas tied 1-1. The update, Dallas didn't come back down to earth. They shot like 40% from three or 42% from three, something like that. Uh, Luka was 5 for 13 because really he was 5 for 9 and got cold in the end of the game uh, trying to do a couple of dagger shots. Got cold uh, at the end of the game. He was 5 for 9 for 3. Tim Hardaway had another great game. Porzingis played well. Kawhi had 41 points, including 30 in the first half. And they were only up 2. Kawhi Leonard had 30 points in the first half and they were up 2. Uh, is not scared of anybody. He's calling Pat Bev too small a chance he gets. Uh, Kawhi can't guard Luka. I mean, Kawhi won't guard Luka due to the fact that he's needed so much on offense. Paul George is pandemic peeing it up. I mean, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard looking for them with a flashlight in the daytime. Rondo's barely playing, so you acquired him for these playoff moments, and he's barely on the floor. Pat Bev getting a lot of burn. Um... It's just, it, it, it's, it's a microcosm of the Clippers because now the Clippers, you're in a horrible spot. You're in a deplorable spot. Like, to the point of it is tragically bad how sad Clippers Nation could be in three months. Because in three months, Kawhi Leonard, in less than three months, Kawhi Leonard could opt out of his contract, which financially he should do anyway. Um... Because if he opts out, he can sign a five-year deal with the Clippers for the Supermax. I believe he's eligible for Supermax. Um, so financially, it's smarter. Paul does already signed his extension. But financially, it's smarter for Kawhi to opt out, quote-unquote, test the market, even if he's not going anywhere, just to make the Clippers offer the most money they can offer um, and secure that's his last big contract in the NBA. But let's say for basketball reasons, he decides to opt out. And he leaves. At least with Paul George... A, a max caps, a max salary spot, and whatever's left on the Clippers, the Morris's, the Canards, the Reggie Jackson, the Pat Bevs, uh, the Zubaches. Well, you don't have your first round draft pick till 2027. If Kawhi walks out the door, you don't look have a superstar. And you have not won a playoff game since you were up 3-1 on the Denver Nuggets. You're in a bad spot, Clippers. You're in a horrible spot. You need to win this series. You damn sure can't get swept. But you need to win this series. I, I think Dallas is going to win it in five. I mean, I, I think when it goes back to Dallas, it'll be 3-1 in Dallas, in, Dallas in, in L.A. Um, they will beat the Clippers on their floor and send them home. Uh, but I think Dallas is in five. Six at the latest. If it gets to game seven, all bets are off. Uh, but six at the latest. And so I, I'm going to say Dallas going to win them in five and send the Clippers into a very tenuous offseason. And now we're going to jump into the last series that we have. Oh, no. Sorry. I almost missed Denver and Portland. My apologies. Uh, that series has been great. Denver went up 2-1 last night. Um, then behind Jokic's MVP-like performance, including a tip-in in a very tenuous spot at the end of the game. But that series has been great. Dame has been Dame. Jokic has been Jokic. That game has gone. That series has gone pretty much how the fans wanted it to go. Uh, you got Jokic balling. 
You've got Dame going crazy. You've got Michael Porter Jr. going up before our eyes. You've got Carmelo Anthony sightings. I mean, he was jawing back and forth with the Denver crowd because Denver was booing him when he was making shots, which is fueling him to make more shots. Uh, you've got CJ McCollum not playing well, which is going to complain for a lot of Blazers fans I talk to and communicate with. Uh, the guys reach out to me and stuff. And I don't get that complaint a lot. You know, why didn't we move CJ McCollum at the deadline? CJ and Dame doesn't work. Dude, we, we beat our head against this wall. If you're Portland, you beat your head against that wall for years. It doesn't work. I, I know you want it to work. I know you see stuff in Clay, you know, and you really want it to work. It doesn't work. It, it just it doesn't work. I, I can't. It, it, it doesn't work. Neither one of your guards play defense. Both of them need the ball in their hands to be effective. It, it doesn't work. Like Steph and Clay works because Clay is a in his, in his day was an amazing two way defender. He would guard your best player, and he didn't need the ball to be successful because he would score sixty points and dribble seven times. So clearly, he did not need the ball to be successful. Dame and CJ, they can, they can catch and shoot, but they're better off to dribble. Neither one of them are defensive stalwarts. And neither one of them are particularly large. CJ is your two guard at 6'4", 6'4", 6'5". So neither one of them have particular elite size. I mean, Dame's 6'2". But I'm saying neither one of them have a particular elite size to counteract anybody on the defensive end. On the end, they don't really try. Um, this experiment doesn't work. They need to go ahead and blow it up. A lot, again, a lot of Blazers fans talking about why didn't we trade uh, CJ at the deadline. It, it, it needs to, something needs to happen here. It needs to be moved on. But in this series, they have the ability to beat Denver. Denver doesn't really have a defensive matchup for them. Although Aaron Gordon is playing really well on Dame. Surprisingly, that's a switch that's working out for Aaron Gordon well. He's not he's not giving up too much on the, on the quickness side of things. And so he's able to use his length to bother Damian Lillard. So that's working a little bit. Uh, CJ McCollum's not playing well at all. And let's say get him on the road. Denver's going to win this thing in five. Um, I have Denver winning it in six, facing facing the Lakers in the next round. Uh, but Denver is Denver Portland is up there, probably my second or third most competitive series. Um, just looking at it, uh, probably second or third most competitive series. They're playing really well. That was a three six matchup. Um, Denver was one of those teams that was in a situation where they could have been four, they could have been three, and then you know Portland, Dallas, and the Lakers were all five six and seven. It could have been any one of those spots. So this is what it happened to be Denver, Portland. I'm enjoying the series. It's been a great series so far. Uh, Dame and Jokic are putting on a show. And like I said, including Jokic getting a tip in on a missed free throw last night to seal the game. When it would have been three seconds left, down three, Blazers getting a rebound, getting the ball to Dame, anything can happen. And so Jokic tips it in, kills the noise before it even starts. Uh, so good job on Denver's half going up 2-1. In the last series, which was also played last night, uh, Lakers against Suns. Uh, Lakers went ahead 2-1, um, and the sun has set in Phoenix. It's over. Chris Paul's shoulder is jacked. I, I don't know what it is exactly. It's some sort of nerve thing. It reminds me of when Colt McCoy played Alabama uh, in, the, in the championship game, and his shoulder, his shoulder literally died. Basically, the nerve stopped working, and he couldn't move it. Um, that's pretty much what it looks like Chris Paul's going through. Not as severe. Because remember, when he first happened, he couldn't pick his shoulder off the floor. Um, so now it's not as severe. It's a few days later. But he's only I mean, he played 26 minutes in game two and had six points. And played 27 minutes in game three and had seven points. 
They pulled him out in game two because Monty Williams said he couldn't make the passes he wanted to make. Now you pull him out. He did not play in the fourth quarter of game four. Campaign ran out in game four. He's playing really well. Um, campaign ran out in game four. It's just Chris Paul's not healthy. And without Chris Paul, they're they're a seven to eight seed. Um, it's, it's the right matchup. Probably just the flip the games around. They feel like a seven or eight seed. Uh, and the Lakers feel like the two seed at the moment because they're absolutely rolling. Uh, Anthony Davis, after his abysmal game one, has woken up and dominated in games two and three. And 34 points in both games. First time he's going back-to-back 30-point games as a Laker in the playoffs. So he's having an amazing time right now. He's figured out how to score. He's, he's being aggressive. First game, saw a lot of jump shots. Uh, really felt like he was trying to find his shot again. And then when he got into game two, he shot 21 free throws. I have a lot of aggressiveness. Game three, he also does a lot of free throw attempts. And he's really aggressive coming downhill. I always like seeing Anthony Davis when he catches the ball and his first step is forward and not backwards or stopping. Because he has thing when he'll catch it and stop. Usually that means some kind of crossover, step back shot, post phase shot, you know, some sort of thing going away from the basket. When he catches it, his first step is forward. There's no big in the NBA that can stay with him. He usually gets an easy layup or dunk, and it's a lot of momentum for his team. But the Lakers are playing incredibly well LeBron James is not putting up my monster numbers he's not you know going for 39 and 9 you know it's 23 21 21 I believe it's his scoring output so far he's honestly just finding his outside shot letting Anthony Davis lead and following behind him in terms of he's playing more the point guard role letting Anthony Davis go score the ball um he's scoring when he has to for instance he scored like 10 or something like that in the fourth quarter, hit a couple post fades, uh, laughed at Jay Crowder as he hit him with a post spin, layup, reverse. Um, it, he hit him with a three. So LeBron's been playing really well down the stretch. Um, game got a little chippy at the end. Devin Booker with a dirty play, uh, pushing Schroeder out the air. Schroeder sold it a little bit with the extra roll on the floor, but it definitely was a dirty play by Devin Booker. And then Jay Crowder got tossed out right behind him. We assume for talking noise to Dennis Schroeder. Uh, it was not properly explained during the game, but we assume it's for talking noise to Dennis Schroeder. Um, right after Booker got ejected. So the Suns lost two players. It was over anyway, uh, but the Suns lost two players to early showers um, thanks to ejections. But without Chris Paul, this series is over. I got Lakers in five. Uh, they'll close out in front of the Staples crowd and move on to play Denver, in my opinion. Alright, let's give some time to a few losers out there. Because yes, people, you are losers for doing the following actions. Throwing popcorn on a player as he's leaving the arena makes you a loser. Just to let you know, guy, whoever you are, you're a loser. I wanted to make that perfectly clear. Spitting on anybody makes you a loser. Now, now... In certain, and sometimes in some settings, that makes you a lot worse than a loser. You, you know, thing might happen to you. I'm not, I don't advocate violence, but I'm just being honest. Every, as a man, things might happen and you spit on me. That's just it is what it is. I mean, you spit on the ground. So if you spit on me, that means you think of me lower than the ground, but you feel like your spit goes on the ground. It goes on me instead of the ground. Um, you know, you're a loser. Dumping popcorn on my head, man, you know, again, in a different setting would create a different reaction. 
Um, you seen Russell Westbrook's reaction. It was very deserved. Trey Young didn't know he got spit on. Um, or spit at. Regardless. And do it in the middle of a pandemic of all things. But, yeah, no, that, may, that makes you a loser. Saying racist things to a parent or anybody, but to the parents of an opposing player makes you a loser, Utah fans. And again, it, it, it's not everybody. It's one loser dumb popcorn. Cool. Now the whole Wizards fan base is on the fire. It's one loser that spit at Trey Young. Cool. Now the whole Knicks fan base is on the fire. Apparently it was three losers at the Utah game. Um, that said racist and offensive things to T. Martin, who was John Morant's uh, parent. Not T. Martin, T. Morant. Uh, who's John Morant and his wife, John Morant's parents. Um, three losers. Cool. That ruined it for everybody else. Um, because apparently, I'm going to go through Instagram incident. So the popcorn thing is complete BS. I didn't spend time with that one. Um, why would you dump popcorn on somebody leaving the game? Enjoy. Why would you dump popcorn on the game anyway? Uh, why, would you dump pop, why would you dump popcorn on anyone anyway? But especially, why would you do it? You know, it's, it's just stupid. There's not, it's not even a rational scenario where I can be like, oh, you know, it was, no, it's dumb. There's no scenario in the world where dumping popcorn on somebody is appropriate. It just isn't. Uh, stupid. So, uh, I mean, he, he got banned from the, he got his season ticket membership revoked, and he got banned from the arena indefinitely. Um, moving on to the next guy. Disgusting idiot. Why would you spit on somebody ever? But especially highlighted in a pandemic. You idiot. I mean, it's, 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 it's a pandemic. So not only are you possibly passing me, you're spitting on me. So whatever you got going on in your mouth is now on me. It's, no, just idiot. He was also banned from Madison Square Garden. He was not a season ticket member holder, but he was also banned from the garden. Um, just like the Philly fan was banned from the Wells Fargo Arena. And the third fans, the, um, oh, by the way, Trey Young not pressing charges. You're a much better guy than me. I would press charges for assault and probably win the case. Um, so there's that. And the Utah fans, apparently, okay, so this one I'm going to take a little time to dig, dive into because of the severity or the weight of the situation, rather. Uh, so John Moran's parents were at the game. Um, just like most parents are. You saw Trey Young's dad after he hit the floater. Um, you know, mo- most parents, especially of young players, are at the playoff games. You know, it's their first one. Or maybe, they, you know, for Trey, it's his first one. Um, same thing with Joss, his first playoff series, you know. So the parents are there. Uh, you see the the Currys, they were at all those Steph, and, uh, Steph games when he was making his finals runs. That's what they do. Families go to games. And, of course, people realize pretty quickly who you are. I'm be honest. In Utah, a group of black people in the Utah crowd wearing Grizzlies gears. You kind of figure it out kind of fast. Right? Um, Dale Curry has a famous, famous face. So does Aisha Curry at this point. So when the Currys win a game, you pretty much figured it out pretty fast. Um, so, you know, it was banter back and forth. Like it's like Jaws, uh, dad said, I think his name is T. Um, they were going back and forth with fans. What you do? It's banter. You know, it's like. Oh man, we about to get y'all and da 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 da. Oh man, Morant missed another one. Da-da-da. Oh, we look we 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 up this, you know. Y'all got luck in game one, you know, friendly stuff, normal banter, maybe a couple cursing back and forth, but nothing, nothing cursing at Morant's parents. Morant's parents were cursing back at them. It was more of I naturally might say a curse word, you know. Things happen, um, but all in all, like Don Morant said, 90, 95 percent of them were great people, laughing, joking. 
it was a good time to have a good, it was a, you know, a good time of the game. Um, unfortunately, a couple of jack legs, that got a little racist. Um, one of them said something along the lines of, I'll put a nickel in your back and, and watch you dance, boy. Um, which is primo racism. Um, there was some disparaging remarks, uh, offensive and sexual towards John Morant's mother, um, in which case John Morant's dad had to stand up, call security. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it, it's a, it, it, it crossed the line. Uh, it even had jazz fans apologizing, like, man, we hope we come back for game five. Like, this is fun. You know, we hope we come back for game five or whatever. It's just, it's ridiculous, you know, losers, all, all three of them. Like, you can't, you can't, you have that much in, in bad in your heart. You can't go to a basketball game and enjoy it. I mean, you got that much in your heart and you pulled that out pretty quickly, not knowing these people at all. Um, so that's how you feel. I mean, about as losers, losers, idiots, all of them. Um, the Hawks guy, you're an idiot. I mean, that's all right. Not the Hawks guy. I don't want to be like that. The Knicks guy, you're an idiot. The Sixers guy, you're an idiot. I mean, the Knicks guy, you're a disgusting idiot. But the Knicks, the, the Sixers guy, you're an idiot. And the Jazz people, you're racist idiots. Um, that's all I'm going to spend on that topic. And now we're going to move into the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield in the offseason. Welcome back into the show. Um, I don't like giving just a little bit on the last segment. I don't like giving to the idiots, but I felt like those fans had to be addressed uh, towards the end of that last segment. But moving on to the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield. Obviously, the biggest thing that's happening right now is the Julio Jones trade rumors. So. In the most unconventional thing I've probably seen on sports television, Shannon Sharp literally picked up his phone on the Undisputed set in the middle of the show, called Julio Jones, and I'm hoping it was not unknown to Julio. Um, but I mean, Shannon posted it all over social media, so I guess it was cool. Um, Julio straight up admitted, yeah, I'm out of Atlanta. And that was the first time we'd ever heard it been confirmed by anybody. So, um, because you know you, you hear rumors every year: Julio Jones can be traded, Odell Beckham can be traded, etc. But that was the first time we'd ever heard anybody definitively say, "Yeah, Julio's gone." Especially being Julio. Uh, so Julio left and said, "Oh yeah, I'm out of there." And because he's caught in Dallas Cowboys hoodie, or not caught, he took a picture of a guy in the Cowboys hoodie. And so Shannon asked about the Cowboys, and he said, no, I never thought about Dallas once. Um, he said he wants to win. He didn't name any teams. Uh, he, he stopped short of naming destinations for because that, that would undercut his values in the market. But he stopped short of that. But he did say he's out of Dallas. He did say he's out of Atlanta and won't be going to Dallas. And so that was huge. I don't know why Dallas would even be interested in Julio. I mean, he's a really talented player, but you already got Amari Cooper's contract. You got CeeDee Lamb. You have to pay Michael Gallup very soon. So Julio Jones will cost you probably defensive assets, which you already need because you don't have any. And so uh, Dallas was an odd destination anyway. But Julio Jones shut that down. 
So that led to, okay, well, we know he's gone because he just said it. So where is he going? And that led to the rumors and reports, and the two strongest connections are the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. Now, the New England Patriots are involved because apparently Julio and Cam have a very strong connection. Julio wants to play with Cam. Uh, at one point, he was interested in going to Carolina to play with Cam, but he but he lost with he wants he wants to play with Cam Newton. Yeah, like I said, they have a very strong connection. Uh, and then he's seen what Randy Moss is having Randy Moss in his career. Randy Moss is looking for a place to revitalize his career and to win. And they were Plexico Burris away from having an undefeated championship ring uh, on Randy Moss's finger. Or a helmet catch away from even, you know, from having a, a championship ring undefeated 19-0 on Randy Moss's uh, finger. And so maybe he's looking at, hey, no, he did it for Moss. And I can go there, be the clear number one receiver, get 80 catches, 1,000 yards, um, you know, eight, nine touchdowns, and we win 13, 14 games, and I'm in the playoffs, you know, with a legitimate chance to win, my own, my second legitimate chance to win besides being up 23 in the Super Bowl against this very team, uh, the New England Patriots. And his other location was the Tennessee Titans, who just lost their offense coordinator, ironically, to the Atlanta Falcons. So the offense... He saw in Tennessee is the offense he's getting in Atlanta, but I think he's over the situation and he wants to go win now because Arthur Smith, like I said, was the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, and now he's the head man in Atlanta. So it's, it's kind of funny he's trying to go to Tennessee uh, with a lot of unknowns and how they're going to run their system. But he again would be the number one receiver. Wouldn't be clear cut. AJ Brown can play, um, so it would free up Julio because if you double him. A.J. Brown's going to kill you. If you double A.J. Brown, Julio Jones is going to kill you. Oh, and don't forget the Titans also have Derrick Henry. So you got to add a man to the box anyway. And so you probably need a single. Julio Jones probably looking at it for the first time in my career, probably since his high school. He can't get double teamed at least every play. And so that is going to be a good landing spot for him as well. Selfishly, as a Patriots fan, I hope Julio Jones ends up a Patriot. Uh, reportedly, they wanted a first-round pick and weren't getting it pre-drafts. And now, apparently, they've been offered a first-round pick, but the first-round pick value is different because if you're looking for a first-round pick in the 2021 draft, that's a player that can help you immediately. That is a player that you know where you're picking. You already have prospects on the board ready for that spot. That player is going to help you immediately. That player is probably going to start for you. Um, and it won't be affected by Julio Jones' production. Because having a first-round pick for a team before he even gets there, Julio Jones can't play that pick down 15 spots. You know, if, if you if you trade for the 14th pick and Julio Jones end up being a top, they end up being an NFC title team or AFC title team, well, now that pick would be 29, 30, somewhere in there instead of 14. As opposed to you wish at 2022, which is what they're at now, and you do the trade, Julio Jones plays that pick expectancy from 13 to 28 where you've lost 15 draft spots and julio and so that's why 2021 was more valuable than 22 but according to diana russini they have now been offered a first round pick for julio uh the team is committed to moving him they respect his desire to want to move on and so now teams are willing to offer that pick because like i said that pick value could change from 14 to 29 or 8 to 25 you know some massive drop because of julio's production and julio's impact and so that is something definitely to keep our eyes on there. You know, the NFL's most popular player, Tim Tebow, 
is now receiving compliments from Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor pointed out how great of a locker room guy Tim is, how he's a guy you just want to be around, how positive he is, and stuff like that. Uh, Urban Meyer has mentioned the words Taysom Hill uh, when, when referring to Tim Tebow, which, if you know Taysom Hill, you know Taysom Hill plays legitimate snaps at quarterback um, as well. So he does, you know, kick return, punt return coverage. He also does H-back, wide receiver, tight end, uh, running back, and wildcat quarterback. Um, so if you're looking at a Taysom Hill-style role for Tim Tebow, that means four to seven times a game, the ball becoming out of Trevor Lawrence's hands, being placed in Tebow's hands to make a decision to run, pass, or throw it. I mean, to run, hand it off, or throw it. Uh, RPO-based system. So that was interesting news out of Jacksonville camp. Regarding um, the highest-selling jersey right now in the NFL, Tim Tebow, that he could be used in a multitude of facets um, on the offensive end, including catching, running, and, and possibly throwing. Um, he looks bigger. He was always a big guy, but he looks bigger now. A lot more veins showing up than used to be. He looks very. Um, he looks a lot more coordinated playing tight end than I thought he would. So he's been working at it. You know, you can tell us that's something he just tried. To do two weeks before he called he's definitely been doing it for a few months um you can just see he he's more polished than i would have thought he would be uh his warm-up drills are less than impressive but you know, on the field it's not bad you know it's, it's a pretty solid he's solid at the position so with being solid and having the urban mind connection and possibly he's already dreaming up of sugar berries and sugar plums or whatever of how to use tim in a multitude of facets so that is something definitely to look out for there with Jacksonville and Tim Tebow. Speaking of film, of guys that I doubt, Mac Jones has been getting pretty good reports out of Patriots OTAs. Um, this is the first OTAs in two years that can have media there due to the fact of last year, they didn't even have preseason last year. Uh, OTAs are very minimal, no media. But um, now media is allowed in to the OTAs and Mac Jones looks pretty solid. He's, he's an accurate thrower. We knew that. Um, but again, I'm going to preface everything I say with they're doing this with helmets on, a jersey, shorts, and tennis shoes. It, it looks like. I know, I know it's not tennis shoes, but it's cleats on air for the most part. So Cam is the number one guy. He took all the first reps. Mac Jones usually went second, pretty much inside that depth chart spot. Brian Hoyer and um, Jared Stidham were the odd man out and participated usually on an excess field, usually on a practice field or something like that. You know, they weren't really with the main group of guys uh, with Cam and Mac learning John o. Smith, learning Hunter Henry, learning Kendrick Bourne, um, learning the new weapons, learning a new system of offense. You know, Mac Jones learning a new offense. Cam is getting a refresher course. Like he spoke about an IM athlete that he really was playing catch up starting after his COVID spell because the team kept going and he couldn't because he went in the building. And so that was two weeks of prep and two weeks of game plan and two weeks of install he didn't have. So he was playing catch up from Jump Street pretty much after week three. Uh, finally, he said he finally felt like he had some grip on the offense again right around week 10 or week 11, which is when his numbers went back up, when the efficiency went back up um, for him. When he finally felt like he had control of the offense again. So it'll be very interesting to see Cam this year. But Mac Jones looked good. He looked solid. He looked like the NFL quarterback we thought he would be, which would be Jimmy Garoppolo, which would be Kirk Cousins, which would be a capable thrower of the football, 
not someone you want to lead your franchise for 20 years, but a capable thrower of the football, uh, a five to seven year solution, not a 15, not a 15 to 18 year solution. That makes sense. Uh, just a little more returns. You know, we had Camry returns. Joe Burrow returns to the field. Uh, he tore his ACL in November. I want to say uh, he's back on the field in May. So I remember I said a few months ago, I was like, man, Burrow's already walking. It was like, you know, it was a few weeks after the ACL and he was already walking with no crutch, no brace, nothing. He was walking, uh, which is insane to even think about because he had ACL and other structural damage to that knee. And he was walking within a few weeks. He was already on the practice field, obviously non-contact, obviously a big scar down the middle of his knee. Um, and he wore a brace on the knee. So very, he didn't do a lot of moving. He, he rode the bike to loosen it up. Didn't do a lot of moving, uh, but he did look good throwing the ball in the limited time he did throw. But I mean, Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. So why would you know he look any differently throwing the ball? But he did look pretty good there off his return. Speaking of return from injuries, Dak Prescott returned from injury as well after shattering his ankle um, or getting his ankle shattered rather uh, seven eight months ago. I want to say I think it happened in September, October, one of the two. Uh, it was early in the season. It was in September. It's like the fourth week of the game, uh, fourth week of the season. He got his, his ankle was shattered on a tackle, clean tackle, but on a tackle uh, at a home game. And he was back on the field. Now he's a little bit further in his progression than Joe Burrow is. Uh, most of Dak was bone healing, stuff like that. Uh, Joe had ligaments, so it's a little more tricky in terms of timetable and things of that nature. But uh, Dak looked good, you know. Again, not fully mobile yet. He's got a few months to really get his mobility back. But he looked good as well, throwing the football, confident. Uh, the leadership aspect is back in the building. Uh, something Dallas Cowboys didn't have last year. So it was a new regime with uh, injured quarterback and a COVID year. It was it was a lot of bads for Dallas. Uh, but now COVID's ending. Um, Dak's back in the building. McCarthy's in year two. They've got more guys, leadership positions. Dan Quinn has showed up for Dallas on the defensive side. Now they got uh, Jabril Cox. They've got Micah Parsons. They've got some guys who can really play the positions that they are drafted to, along with Jalen Smith getting his old college number of nine back. So, you, you, I mean, you've got things working in the Dallas Cowboys' favor now that you didn't have last year due to the fact that life was just difficult for everybody in 2020. And then um, a little money news. The NFL salary cap for next season has a ceiling of $208 million, which would be a 10% increase over this year's $198 million. Um, and anything past 208 in terms of the revenue share will not go to salaries. It will go to paying back the benefits that the NFL canceled last season to save a little money. So they postponed the benefits from last season to save a little money, and they put in a plan where it would be all paid back by 2026. Well, if the revenues spike how they're expected to spike, the split may end up being, you know, it should be 220 or 222, where that $14 million per team will go to paying back the benefits of the $17 million per team that the NFL had to cancel last year due to COVID finances, which will put the NFL back, you know, probably paying off the loan or paying off the debt rather two years early. Um, as opposed to waiting 2026 to pay it off, they pay it off in 2021 or 2022 or 2023. So just a little financial news there. Um, but I want to play, I'm going to talk a little, a couple of seconds about 
some hot seat coaches. So every year we come into the season and we look around the league and we go, man, who can get fired if their year goes bad? They just, they have a bad year. They're out of there, right? There's a surprisingly few number of coaches in that spot. Like usually there's like six or seven that you can just see automatically in the preseason. Like, man, if they have a bad year, they're gone. Like, you know, they are out of there. I mean, they might as well have their badge packed by week 12 if they have a bad year. You know, like they're gone. There, like I said, there's a surprisingly few number of these uh, these teams. For instance, let's go through the AFC East. Only have four. I have Cliff Kingsbury, uh, the Arizona Cardinals head coach. Because he has a young quarterback with a lot of talent. If they finish fourth in the division, he's got to go. Because clearly he can't compete with Sean McVay. And he can't uh, compete with Kyle Shanahan. Um, and he can't compete with uh, Pete Carroll. So clearly King, King, Cliff Kingsbury would have to go. I have Zach Taylor. Similar situation. He has Joe Burrow. He's got Now he's got Jamar Chase. Uh, he's got pretty good talent around them, and he can't finish fourth in that division because clearly so he can't compete with John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, or um, or the Cleveland, Kevin Stefanski, the Cleveland Browns head coach. Mike McCarthy, you're on Dallas' stage. Rumors were they wanted to get rid of you last year already. Now you've come to year two. You have Dak. You finish third in that division. You've got to go because clearly the game has passed you by, and you can't compete with the lights of Ron Rivera, uh, and the New York Giants brash of um, can't think of the head coach's name right now, but Jason Gary Ben OC and the Giants coaching staff. And then last I have Mike Zimmer, uh, head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Aaron Rodgers is going to with his own organization. The Chicago Bears just drafted a uh, quarterback, and the Detroit Lions are the Detroit Lions. So if you finish third in that division, you gotta go. And that's just, that's just being honest, Mike Zimmer. You got to be out of there. And of course, fifth in the same division. I forgot. How did I forget about Matt Nagy? Uh, Chicago Bears. You kind of got hamstrung by your GM, unfortunately for you. But if this goes badly and you finish fourth in your division, or damn near fourth in your division, you got to go. Sorry. I mean, I, I, think, I think you're a good coach, Matt Nagy. Um, you, you, you got a jet. You got to go. So those are my five, I think, are on pretty warm seats. I think Vic Vangio's on a milk, lukewarm seat. Like, his seat ain't that comfortable, but it ain't that uncomfortable either. I would have Vic Vangio in a lukewarm seat, but that's five. Like I said, usually that's eight or nine. You can just look at it immediately. Boom. And these guys could be gone. But I'm saying, if you look through the divisions, you look at the AFC East. You got Belichick, who's never getting fired. Brian Flores, who won't get fired. Robert Sala just showed up. Um, and Sean McDermott is the second best coach in Bill's history. So he's not going anywhere. Uh, NFC East. I talked about Cowboys and McCarthy, but Ron Rivera's not going anywhere. Um, I cannot think of the head. Joe Judge, that's his name. Head coach of the Giants. He's not going anywhere. They'll probably give it to Daniel Jones first. And then you've got uh, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Nick Sirianni. He just got the job. So could he be fired after one year? Yes, we've seen it. Uh, Vance Joseph, amongst others. But he just got the job, so I doubt it. Uh, look at the NFC South. Sean Payton's not going anywhere ever in New Orleans. Bruce Aarons won a Super Bowl. He's set for life in Tampa. Uh, Matt Rule's in his second year in Carolina, showing great progress. And Arthur Smith just got the job. You know, you, you, so you just look around the league, you know, uh, the AFC South, you've got Mike Vrabel, 
who has been in the playoffs several times with the Tennessee Titans. You've got uh, Frank Reich, who just got Carson Wentz, so he's not going to get fired. Urban Myers got the job in Jacksonville. And um, can't think of that team in the division right now. But, yeah, there was the other team in the division for the AFC South. Uh, oh, the, te- the Houston Texans just hired uh, their head coach as well. Again, he could be fired after one year, but I doubt it. So, if you look at just look around the league, there's not a lot of teams. Teams either have set coaches or they have brand new coaches. And when you don't fire a coach after year after year and keep and build an organization, you have to build a culture with somebody at least for two years to see if it's going to work. Um, so, this is surprisingly few amount of teams with people on the hot seat. Which is, I thought was very interesting. I thought you guys should hear about that. But up next, we're going to shift to the MLB and talk about what's going on with Major League Baseball. Welcome back into the show. Uh, And now we're going to shift into a little baseball and, you know, I, I say this every week, and I'm probably going to stop saying it, but I say it every week. I always go, man, I always, I'm only going to bring up baseball if something major happens, you know, and something major happens every week. It's a, it's a professional sport in the NBA. It's a professional sport in America, and I always say things like, I'm only going to talk about it if, da 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 and I'm only going to talk about it if, da 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 you know, I'm only going to talk about it if something happens. Well, guess what? I'm going to just bring baseball in every week. We're going to look at the standings. We're going to talk about some crazy plays or talk about some crazy um, stats that was happening and all this other stuff. I mean, we're just, we're just going to talk about things, you know, in baseball. We're going to talk about it because it, it happens every week. It comes in the show every week. Um, might might as well bring a regular week thing. All right. We're going to do that. We're going to talk about it every week. Uh, probably going to incorporate a little WNBA next week as well. But we are going to jump right into the standings peak. I always do the top six. Um, just because those guys, are that's who's fighting for the playoff spots. Uh, usually spread out all over the division, so it works out well. Uh, with the AL, you have the Rays, the White Sox, the Oakland Athletics, the Boston Red Sox, the New York Yankees, and the Cleveland Indians. And with the National League, you have the San Diego Padres, the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Mets, the San Francisco Giants, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Chicago Cubs, which means just like last week, both Chicago teams are in playoff contention, one better than the other one, obviously. And it also means that the uh, theory that the demise of the Yankees was greatly exaggerated. Uh, they are now, they moved up a spot. They were six, now they're fifth. Um, they're coming up, they're third in their own division, thanks to the Rays being amazing and the Red Sox being Okay, I can't compliment the Red Sox, uh, but the Red Sox are pretty solid, and the Yankees are catching up to people. They're playing well. They lost the they lost the game last night, but they're playing well. Um, and of course, I'm gonna have to again, once again, apologize for the Dodgers hype. Um, my bad. Um, yeah, I drank all that Kool Aid. I was wow. Um, I was really looking forward. I mean, I was thinking, man, they might win 110, 115 games. I mean, I was, th- I was just, I mean, they were going to go insane in my head. And well, on the field, they didn't quite measure up. That bullpen leaks more runs than a bo- any good team bullpen I've seen in a while, um, which is a problem, obviously, in the playoffs. If you're leaking runs, the playoff games won't be 7-0, and you leak three runs, and who cares? It's 7-3. 
Um, it'll be 3-2, you leak three runs, you're down two, and you lose the game. So they got to get that figured out. But I brought up baseball for one reason only. Even though I'm going to talk about a quick story before I jump into that, Shohei Otani uh, with the interesting moment. He was supposed to pitch last night, but his bus was late, so he ended up batting because he wouldn't get his normal pitch routine in time. So he ends up batting, uh, going 0 for 3 and pitching today. I thought that was weird. Kind of funny. It's kind of stuff you never hear about. Uh, especially kind of versatility like a guy like Otani. Like, oh, I can't pitch because my routine is jacked up. I'll just go hit. Like, it's fine. Um, but I brought up baseball for one specific reason. I know you guys have seen the Baez play with the um, Cubs and the Pirates. Uh, I know you guys have seen that play. That play infuriates me to no end. It's funny. It's hilariously upsetting. That is the best way I can describe it. It is hilariously upsetting. How in the hell did that happen? So, first of all, it's two outs. Just touch first base. That's all you had to do was go touch first base. He was in front of the bag. Just take a step back. You, I mean, you had him dead to rights. Just walk backwards. Innings over. Move on with your life. Instead, he tries to run forward. Just come forward and physically tag Baez as Baez retreats back to home plate, which again wouldn't work. You can just corner him at home plate. I mean, there's nothing I that he can't go anywhere because that base isn't available to him. It's not like throwing it. He's not. It's where he starts between first and second, and he can go to first and go to second. You know, he can stay at first, he can go to second. Now he's caught and he's trying to throw it across his head so that somebody can touch him because if you don't touch him, he's not out. He can't go to home. He just hit. He he can't he can't do anything. He can't go to home plate. He can't go to home plate. So he's stuck between no man's land. He can't go to home and first. Just if if you're going to not do the obviously smart thing and touch the and touch the bag and end this mess, then simply walk towards him. He can't leave the base path. He's out. He can't go to home plate. He's be out. So just walk up to him calmly and tag him. But instead, he sees the guy trying to slide in the, in, the, in the plate. So he throws to the catcher. The catcher, in turn, attempts to tag the runner. But when he throws it, Baez takes off running the first. Because now, the first baseman, there's nobody covering first. And the first baseman just threw the ball away. So there's nobody there. So Baez is sprinting to first. By this point, the pitcher realizes, oh, crap. There's nobody over first base, and Baez is running there because the runner just scored. So the pitcher tries to run over, and he, in his attempt to catch the ball and tag Baez, which, again, he didn't have to do. He could have just ran the first base. In his attempt to catch and tag Baez, he loses the ball. So Baez is safe at first, which means the run just counted. Then Baez gets up and runs some more because the ball leaks into the outfield, and on the throw to the second base to tag him out, that ball's Aaron. Now, it wasn't so Aaron, but the third base grabbed it, kept it, and stopped him from moving any further. But somehow, he squeaks out a run in this mess. And all they had to do was touch first base twice or physically touch him when he's stuck between you and home plate and he can't and he can't go to home plate and say it. So, there was no... It was, I mean, it was hilariously frustrating. It was hilarious in the sense of, I can't believe he just pulled this off. All I can do is laugh. And it was frustrating in the sense of, I can't believe the Pirates let him pull this off. 
there was about five different ways to end it. The pirate chose none of them. And it was it was mind-boggling. It was truly, truly mind-boggling. But up next, we are going to shift to our best for last, which will be a discussion on Gilbert Arenas. Alrighty, guys, welcome into the show. Um, and then, you know, best flash for me is something that I think is a little off topic or, you know, just something I want to talk about for a couple minutes. Uh, it doesn't have necessarily have to be on topic, but I mean, you, got, you guys get the drill now. We've been doing this for over a year. You guys get the drill uh, with best for last is. And for me, I always leave best for last in my notes blank. So, uh, my notes, basically why I do this is I have my topic list. I have like NBA and then I have the, the topics I want to talk about the NBA. Not my points I want to hit, just the things I want to mention. So like I had all the playoff series listed and the fans being banned on my list. So for the NFL, I had the hot the hot take, the hot seat thing, the NFL's Tyler Cap, you know, returning from injury. Sort of thing. And MLB, I had the standings. And then I just talked about what's happening in between that kind of thing. Best for last, I have best for last and then nothing. Because I want to have Best for Last be organic. Uh, just something that when I'm telling you guys Best for Last is coming, that my brain grabs something out of the back of the encyclopedia. And boop, that's what we're going to talk about. And so Gilbert Arenas is my topic. And it's not Gilbert Arenas a basketball player. We know Gilbert Arenas is a basketball player. Drafted Golden State in the second round. Coming out of a very successful Arizona career. Um, you know, plays Golden State a few years. Makes his big break in Washington. Um, at one point was probably the best guard in the NBA, top three. I mean, he was in the same time as Kobe, so probably not the best guard. But, you know, it's Kobe, it's Nash, it's Arenas, it's AI. That was pretty much the list. T-Mac um, was a guard forward type. But that was pretty much the list of guards in the NBA at the top. You know, those were the kingpins. Those were the top dogs. Um, and so we, we know Gilbert Arenas the player. And then there was the gun incident and all that stuff. And injuries, then the injuries happened. Um, ultimately he retires and that was pretty much saying that Gilbert Arenas but off the court Gilbert has been a secret you know he really wasn't in the media like that um, and so when we've I've been getting it so my first introduction to off the court Gilbert was his appearance on Shannon Sharp's podcast and I was like wow I really didn't know this much about Gilbert, especially I didn't know all the details surrounding the gun in the locker room incident. I didn't know all the details surrounding his injury. I think he started getting hurt, and, you know, and then he faded into the oblivion, you know, into the ether. And then, you know, I didn't know his mind, something like that. And I'm like, wow, me and Gilbert Arena share a lot of the same ideas. Uh, we share a lot of the same mental, especially when it comes on the court stuff, a lot of the same mental stuff, um, his work ethic, stuff like that. But I'm, it brought me in a situation where I Gilbert Arenas' podcast, the No Chill Gil podcast, uh, along with his appearances on other stuff, is showing me that more athletes need more platforms. For instance, we all looked at Gil as a butthole on on the court and off. The update he is. Now listen to his podcast where we talk Richard Jefferson. He's 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 a butthole, but. There's a purpose to it in a way. Like he's not just being that way just to be that way. It's like there's a reason. Which is stuff we'll never know. 
if he didn't have the platform he has. And you and you got, you know, guys in the NBA that are super, super quiet. They end up being great media people. Like, we would never know this because they don't talk to the media. Uh, and it's just a way that I think we need more players. Uh, Gil brought it up. We need more players in um, management roles to know how to deal with players. Instead of guys who's never been in this environment trying to judge the environment, we should have guys who've been in those wars, been in those trenches, been in those situations, doling out punishment if necessary or handling a situation if necessary. But anyway, back to Gilbert Arenas. Um, his career arc was so interesting. Um, just in having her hear him, having heard him rather describe it multiple times now, it's very interesting. So he's in Arizona. I'm gonna talk about his career a little bit. He was at Arizona and he gets there and he's so good he moves the two guards on the team and they transfer. They're out. So he gets there and they play freshman year a little bit and then he goes and whatever. And his last year they go to the championship game and lose to Duke. Okay. So then he goes to the NBA and he's thinking, I'm a top 10 pick. I'm told I'm a lottery pick. Da, 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 da. He didn't know that was the first high school draft. So all the high school kids were coming in instead of going to college for a year or two years, or whatever, they were just going to the high school. So they were drafting them, a lot of them on potential. Like, oh, he's six foot seven, you know, 200 pounds in high school. He's going to be probably 220. And if he has man body, he can already shoot there. So they were drafting a lot of the high school kids on potential. And Gilbert just thinking like, I don't know who you are. I just know I was in the national championship game and let my team in scoring. Um, you know, they, I mean, in his draft, they had Joe Johnson out of like Arkansas. And, you know, it's kind of thing because you didn't have the national media coverage that you have now where everybody that can play is on overtime or everybody that can play is on Sports Center, House of Highlights or, you know, whatever. It, you can see everybody at all times. You know who everybody is. You didn't have that back then. You didn't have entire mock draft shows to say, oh, this kid out of Southern Arkansas is going to be really, 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 really good. But no one's ever heard of him because they play at Southern Arkansas or this, you know. Or the West Coast didn't know who was good in the South, and the South didn't know who was good in the East, and et cetera, because unless you played them in college basketball, they never really crossed your radar. But anyway, so he ends up being a second-round pick because of some stuff he did in pre-draft workouts. And it's just, his career was just ups, it was downs, it was work ethic, it was everything. And it was just hearing, getting that appreciation for an underrated player, um, in my opinion, in Gilbert Arenas, who without injuries is probably one of the better guards in the 2000s. Uh, up until his injury point, I think he got injured like 26, 27, his first injury. Um, up until that point, there was nobody can guard him. I mean, he put 50 point games on the board, 60 point games on the board. He averaged almost 30 a couple of years. I mean, there was nobody that can guard him when, when he became agent zero um, and was healthy. So I don't want to talk about. I, I gained so much more appreciation for Gilbert, the guy and the player, uh, through my introduction to him through multiple media sources. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I'm loving doing this. I'm loving the interactions I get with you guys. Uh, remember to follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports for all of your breaking news and coverage. I'm on that thing pretty much all day, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, more Twitter than Instagram for obvious reasons. Um, but definitely you guys follow that. Give that a shout out. Um, retweet the information, stuff like that. And know before your friends do.
But I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.